Susan Goldsworthy, it's fantastic to have you here. I think thinking about talking to you, I was very energized today. You have written so many different books and you are a business professor. How come you're a children's book author now? Suba, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, it's interesting because I don't think of it as a children's author. I think of it as a, a book for adults as well as children. And let me share with you how it came about. Yeah, please do. So I was working with senior executives, I, this is what I do, um, and asking them in, in today's world context, in the current climate, what, what influences them about what's happening in the world at the broader scale? What kind of factors? Yeah, so things like looking at biodiversity loss, looking at uh, plastic pollution, looking at climate change, looking at migration, looking at all these things that are going on in the world uh, that are sort of creating this perfect storm. We were discussing the societal responsibility of leadership in that area, because I think in today's world, you can no longer just focus on being a leader for yourself or your team or your organization, you've also got to think about being a leader at societal level. Absolutely. I think that's very, very fantastic to hear because you're not only as a business school talking about um, collective responsibility or the individual to advance profit, but also to advance society. But how did that thought come about? Yeah. Well, so, it, it, you know, IMD's vision is to challenge what is and inspire what could be. And I think really what was fascinating was in talking with these executives about what influenced them, what came out was what influenced them was their children and grandchildren. And in that moment, <laughs> I thought, aha. <laughs> that's where we need to start. Yeah, that's where we need to start. So if their children and grandchildren influence them, let's write something that they could read to their children and grandchildren that will then influence them as well. Because leaders have enormous power and enormous privilege. And with that comes a responsibility. And I think if we can tap in to that power, privilege and responsibility, we can achieve so much more than we're aware of. And we can have a far greater impact on what's happening globally than we probably realize. We have more agency, more power, more choice, more abilities than we know. What's very interesting about this thought process is that you don't only address the leaders in their comfort zone as leaders, but actually at home, where that's usually, you know, a lot of people separate that. And I think that's that's probably something you could perhaps elaborate, but how do you experience individuals when you're doing your trainings? And how did you actually think about, okay, if they're at home, that's probably where they're at their authentic self. So that's where we need to get started in order to make the change. Yeah, that's a really good point, Suba, because I'm a firm believer that you can't uh, influence others if you're not doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. And on October 30th, 2018, I was in a hotel room in Berlin uh, running a training program with IMD. And I turned on the, the news and they were reporting about the WWF Living Planet report. Uh, and they announced that since 1970, 60% of vertebrate species have gone extinct. There's been an 80% of uh, insects as well. And I remember standing there thinking, how did that happen in the last 50 years? You know, this is and my And no one lifetime. really talks about it. No one talks about it. It's my lifetime. How, did, how am I not aware? You know, what's been going on? And so in that moment, it was like, well, now I know. What am I going to do about it? So what did we do once we knew? Yeah. 
And so then I started this whole movement of what did we do once we knew, inspired by a wonderful poem by Drew Dellinger called The Hieroglyphic Stairway, where he talks about it's 3.23 a.m. in the morning and my great-great-great-grandchildren won't let me sleep. They ask, what did you do once you knew? Right? Um, and, and so really, I think that's a question we all have to say is, is, is now the science is irrefutable? Now the data is irrefutable? What are we going to do about it? And, and we can do things. That's the point. Right? And what is the actual aim of that book? Because now we know, and uh, the aim of your book is really to uh, kind of make the leader aware, you know, okay, we need to act now and not as you're describing your, in your book when it when the wild things are gone. gone. <laughs> yes, exactly. So can you talk a little bit more about that? So the kind of the description of the book is now it's too late. Well, so it's really interesting because there's, there's a whole... I'm a pressure of leadership and organizational change, right? And, and how and why we change, I find fascinating. So we know a lot, but we really struggle to apply what we know. And so I always use the example here of diets, right? If I ask people around the world, you know, have you ever been on a diet? You know, or you know someone else who has. We all know someone who's been on a diet, right? And you say, what are the two things that would guarantee that you would lose weight? And the answers always are, well, if you eat better or less and you exercise more, you'll lose weight. And yet the diet industry is worth billions. It shouldn't be worth a penny. We all know exactly what to do. <laughs> and yet we struggle to apply what we know. And so this is what I'm fascinated with, is, is how can we take what we know and apply it? And what's really interesting about where we are in the world today is even when it's in our best interests, you know, we still struggle. Yeah, to you know, make it a habit. To right? make it happen. Yeah. And so... What really can make us wake up, disrupt us enough to move out of the three coping strategies that we have of human beings? Um, they're denial, distraction and despair, right? Denial, this isn't happening. <laughs> It's all a uh, fantasy or fake news, right? Distraction, oh gosh, isn't it awful, back on my daily hamster wheel. Um, and despair, oh, what can we do about it anyway? We're all sunk. You know, um, and that's where I think the concept of hope is so important. And so in, in writing the book, it's very much written from the point of view of um, set in the future, not so far away. Um, a grandmother reading a bedtime story to her granddaughter and the granddaughter asks her, what did you do when you were my age? And the grandma says, when I was your age, I ate with the aardvarks, boogered with the bears, chilled with the chimpanzees and goes through the whole alphabet. So, you know, in that sense, it's entertaining because it's all the things she did with 26 animals of the letters of the alphabet. And at the end, the little girl's really excited and she says, I want to do those things too, please take me. And the grandma says, well, I, I can't, you know, because they lived in the wild and the wild is no more. And the little girl says, the wild, what's that? What's that? You know? And so that then leads to what did we do once we knew that your friends could no longer play? You know, I wrote this book for you, I wrote this book to say. And, and so it's very much around how do we protect what we still can? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think the, your fact is actually that um, it, it's tragic. When you think about it, it's very tragic. But you're making it in a, you know, you're putting it in a playful way that, you know, the shocking effect can make potentially people change. But you're, you're still playing on the, on the concepts of uh, hope as well. Absolutely. So what do you think, um, can, can this make people hopeful? And what is your definition of hope? So it's an interesting one because I'm doing a lot of research into the concept of hope. And what seems to come out from all the people that I've researched, whether it's quantitative or qualitative, 
is that 90% of people believe that hope is fundamental to being human. There's around 10% who think hope is actually a negative thing because it distracts you from doing what needs to be done. That's I can't believe this, but yes. <laughs> no, it's quite interesting. That's yeah. quite interesting yeah. because hope is intrinsically something positive, I would say. I think if it leads to something, yeah. by itself, it can be passive, right? So I, I, I hope this will happen, hope. but I'm not going to... False hope. And, you know, Pandora's box, um, when hope was the one thing left in the box, when everything else, when Pandora opened it and everything else escaped. And, and some scholars view that it was left in as an evil, right? Because it, it then tricks humans into a false hope. So that's a negative aspect of it. Um, however, most people tend to view it as a positive aspect because it gives the inspiration and the energy. Um, and so it's interesting, as I'm exploring it, I see it almost like a kaleidoscope. Uh, you know, that uh, there's many different facets to hope. There's a sort of very um, surface hope of I hope the weather's nice today. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, okay. You know, that's just, you know, in passing, uh, yeah. colloquial hope. Um, but then there is hope for a future in the present, mm -hmm. right? So for me, it's very, what I'm discovering is that it's not just a future state, it's very much a present state that provides energy and inspiration to do something that can make a difference. For instance, the Friday for Future movement now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That could be something in that direction. Exactly. And what we do know is that, you know, if you can get 25% of people to support an initiative, then they can shift 100%. And hope is contagious. You know, uh, people tend to get lifted by hope. And we see examples of this, for example, with Greta Thunberg or David Attenborough or Jane Goodall um, or many normal people around the world doing fantastic work. They're inspiring. And in fact, on our CLEAR, the Senior Leadership Programme, we actually had a group of young people come in and talk about what they were doing. And these CEOs and business owners were tremendously inspired by these 16-year-olds talking about what they're doing. And so the intergenerational aspect is so important as well. What they're doing to better the planet. Yeah. So, for example, one, um, uh, it was two sisters, uh, aged 10 and 12, the Wurgesons in Bali. Um, when they were 10 and 12, they decided, they saw all the plastic on the beach and they started a campaign called Bye Bye Plastic Bags, right? Bye Bye Bags. How Bali. simple, but, uh, but amazing, right? Amazing. Six years later, Bali, the government, has adopted to ban all plastic bags. And so look at what they've achieved. That's just incredible. It's amazing. That's incredible, right? yeah. And so you see young people doing this and you go, yeah, and, and look at the power the older generation has. Absolutely. If, if we can break out of the comfort zones and the conformity of what we think we have to stick in, and actually combine and integrate within ourselves who we are and what we want into our work, we can inspire others and achieve so much. Mm, and that's absolutely. where we can have hope. Yes. I think, you know, the sense of urgency everyone is feeling today I mean, ab about this topic. And of course, uh, people like Greta had, um, had a huge impact on this. But I also feel this is not the first time. I mean, we had people expressing that sense of urgency at the Earth Summit in Rio in 1992. Right. Why is it that we have a momentum now and why do you think um, this didn't materialize in the past? Why didn't we do enough in the past? It's an interesting question and again I think it comes back to how people change and, and how you get a collective momentum. That, that is one of the tough things, right? You read books from the 1970s or, you know, um, uh, Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, which was the 60s even, right? And they're talking about this stuff back then. 
and and with the same sense of urgency. With the same sense of urgency, <laughs> sadly, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yet, not not a lot happened. And and I think what happened is, in a sense, you know, sustainability became marginalised. It became something to do to tick the box. Um, and so it was like, ah, we need to do this because it's best practice, or because we need to tick that box. What people didn't realise was the interconnected nature, and that our very survival depends on this. It's not a nice to have. It's not something that you know is either, you know, it can be good for business, but it's not about being good for business. It's about survival and thriving. And when we start realising that we're all connected, so without insects you're not pollinating plants, <laughs> right? Which is what we grow to eat. Um, you know, if the ecosystems start breaking down, we live and breathe in that very ecosystem. That's such a nice way to put it, actually, because um, you know, me myself, I um, I lead a children's rights organization, so. Our very concept of projects that we do is based on changing children's mindset, right? Wonderful. You you change parents through children's mindset, through children's behavior, and we do a lot of projects around um, climate change adaptation. And we start at schools and with children, and this goes very back to the concept of how kids are able to grasp these simple notions yes. and make the connectedness rather yes. than, you know, they see the, you know, an insect and they, for, for them, it's way more lively than pr- probably for parents that other things become a priority. Well, and again, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when we're born and we grow, we are connected to the universe much more as young kids, right? That is true, yeah. And then, you know, we have societal constructs and, and we, we get drawn into those and, and we get on the hamster wheel and we get distracted. Um, and we're aware of them, but they're kind of removed from us. And I think what children do is they're that mirror to say, actually, no, this is not removed. It's connected. And I think what's happening now is adults are beginning to wake up. Um, yeah. And we're going, yes, of course, we are connected. <laughs> right? And that's that beauty of that intergenerational connection. Mm-hmm. I think bringing all of this together, I mean, the the thought is brilliant and what you wanted to do and what you now, you know, we have the book now in our hands and, and now it's, you know, it's really to be seen how people react to it and it's really wonderful to see the feedback. Yeah, if, can, I, can I just say yeah, something of course, as well? Yeah. yeah, I must say as well that um, it's it was an intergenerational project too because I, I, go, yeah. <laughs> I worked on it with my daughter and I have to say she improved it dramatically. Um, and so that was a wonderful experience too, was to work with my daughter on the project and she's also an artist so she did all the illustrations um, but that was amazing to see as well how children have a and, and she's not a child she's in her <laughs> 20s but still yeah. the younger generation mm-hmm. have a much clearer idea of how to cut through mm-hmm. and, and get a point across but with a sense of hope and optimism that, that something can be done mm-hmm. You know, um, and so I learned a lot from her. And more so than the um, than perhaps your generation feel. Really. Absolutely. Potentially. That's that's really nice to hear. And my point was exactly about that. So how do you even manage to convince IMD to publish this? Because that's not a given, you know, it's (laughs) not a it's not an easy task, I think, you know, as a business school to convince them to publish uh, a children. Well, it seems like a children's book. It seems like a children's book. Yes, and I have to say seems like because it actually isn't a children's book. But I think that's what's beautiful about IMD, right? Um, Is, you know, as I say, our our vision is to challenge what is and inspire what could be. And that's exactly what this book does. It challenges what is. It's a storybook, um, you know, on the surface, published by a business school. 
but it's inspiring what we can all do, the difference we can all make if we enter into dialogue and work collectively towards something. And I think that's true of any subject and any topic, um, and particularly of this one. And so what was wonderful was, you know, when I first sort of came up with the idea, I expected to get a, you know, oh no, you can't do this, you know. And it's the opposite. People have embraced it, supported it. Um, I've seen grown men in tears reading it, right? Um, and, and women too. Um, and, and so it's this wonderful thing when you really touch to something that is what it means to be human. When you go to the human condition, it resonates. And that's, I think, what's beautiful about IMD in general, that you actually go to the heart of the people, to the soul, and, um, you know, making them connect with the meaning and purpose of what they want to do as individuals, rather than perhaps as a, as a leader in the, you know, this should be the meaning of leadership, I think. You know, some people just have this kind of forefront of, uh, you know, it should be someone, a CEO has a certain look or uh, a certain toughness or anything to it. But I think it's, it's really having that touch to, to their um, other sensibilities as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely, there's something about integration, mm -hmm. your personal and your professional personas. Right, uh, right, when right. you combine those, there's a healing takes place, which is enormously liberating. Mm -hmm. There is loss and grief in that, absolutely. And, and so that's where it's important to be in a secure base, in an environment that can both care for you and dare for you. <laughs> Absolutely. I think your your work with Care to Dare right. must have helped you with, with this as well. Absolutely. This Spot is on. actually caring to dare. It is. It is. <laughs> if you care enough about something, yeah. you want to protect it and you, and you look absolutely, after it. Absolutely, yeah. And to do that, you have to dare to have the courage to step out and do something different. So absolutely. And so that was one book. And then the second book, Choosing Change, this is a choice. You have to consciously choose to do things differently. And yet, when you choose to do something differently and it's aligned with humanity, somehow the forces align and it flows, mm -hmm. which is just wonderful. So where are you going from here, Susan? What are your next steps? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I think to continue to align in myself, my own authentic leadership, my, the combining of my own professional personas, and to continue to work with others to do that. Um, I get inspired every day by the people around me, um, older, the same age or younger. And so how can we continue to work together to move, to protect what we still can? We can't, I don't think we can stop what's going to happen, unfortunately. I think there's some, you know, it's going to be some tough moments ahead. But we can certainly make them better than they otherwise would be. And I think that is our responsibility um, as leaders. As, as people in positions of power and privilege is to step up to that responsibility and to do what we can. And what kind of um, reactions are you getting? Because I think the message you have is brilliant. This is exactly what every business school should be doing, basically. But how do you do that? And uh, what are the reactions of people that work with you? Does that resonate with them? Or do they say, well, this is a bit too, um, I'm not sure if I'm on this journey. Well, uh, so far, the reaction has been phenomenally positive. Maybe the ones who aren't positive don't speak to me. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, just, I mean, the response on, on social media, um, from uh, other professors, from employees, uh, you know, from people all around, um, has been so positive um, that you realise that it, this is where we need to go. This is what we need to do. It, it, I think it's of its time um, and it's, tapping into a moment where we are getting to a tipping point 
where we can make a difference um, and empower and engage each of us to do that. And that's enormously encouraging. And if we can do that, instead of talking about the where, where the wild things were, our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren will be able to talk about where, where the wild things are. Mm-hmm. And what would be your suggestion to um, individual leaders to find their own purpose? Because I know there are a lot of people, they want to find their purpose, they want to have meaning in what they do, but they often struggle to find that. So what would, would be your suggestion for that? So my, my suggestion would be to not limit ourselves. Give yourself permission to step, because often we limit ourselves, right? Um Our performance That's is an interesting thought. That that is true, actually, because yeah. we often say, you know, it's not possible. I'm, I will, you know, be hostage in the situation, right. right? Right. I mean, there's a lovely by Galway. There's a lovely uh, equation that your performance equals your potential minus your self-interference. And you know, when I first started thinking about doing the children's book, I'm like, oh, I won't be able to do this. No one would be interested. I, you know, I'm a business school professor. I can't do that. And then when you step aside of that and and just make it happen, and even when I shared it with some people, they were like. No, you don't want to spend your time on that. This is before I <laughs> really. Written. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it felt right, you know. Trust your embodied mm-hmm. uh, your gut. intuition, gut your feeling, gut. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and and so when when you don't limit yourself, it's remarkable how things open up. And so I would say one of the biggest things is for people not to allow themselves to limit themselves. Go for it. Try it. As 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 Steve Jobs said in one of his most famous speeches with Stanford, you're already naked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, just you know, just go for it. Um, and if it works, fantastic. If it doesn't, at least you tried. You know, and that's the important thing. Having said that, that I think that's a, that's a very nice closing statement as well. Thank you so much, Susan. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I personally feel very inspired by by your work and also the fact that you've done this with your daughter. I think that also you know gives some purpose and meaning to to the book itself. And I would recommend everyone to to pick this book up and read it. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you very soon at another IMD podcast. Thanks so much, Super. It's been a pleasure. 